welcome back to the Legacy Through Motherhood podcast. This is Stephanie, your host, and I just wanted to say thanks for hanging out with me today. And if you have been around for a little while, you know that my heart for this business is just generational change through just small daily choices and changes that we can make. And my goal really is just to help illuminate some of those small things that we can do and we know that those small things are going to make the biggest impact. And we specifically talk about five different areas on this podcast. And so today we have a special guest who has a PhD in human development and family studies, and she specializes in couple and family therapy. And she is a therapist and a professor turned respectful parenting coach. She helps families, you guys, get super clear on their goals and their values. She helps them heal past traumas and triggers just so that they can start showing up in their parenting with authenticity. And we talk about so many topics in this single conversation you are about to hear, but an overarching theme is intergenerational transmission, which is a fancy word to basically say how different things are passed down between generations, be it trauma, triggers, behavior, um, our own parenting struggles, or whatever else, okay? So I am so excited to introduce to you my friend, Dr. Laura Froyen. Hey, Laura, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. I'm good. Good. Um, so can you just tell us a little about yourself and what you do um, and just kind of I know that we're going to have a big conversation on this podcast today. So can you just explain a little bit of what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. So I'm Dr. Laura Froyan. I have my PhD in human development and family studies with a specialization in couple and family therapy. And I, um, yeah, so I'm a peaceful parenting and respectful relationship coach. And I help families uh, get clear on what they want for their families um, and for their lives, get clear on their core values and their goals, and start parenting and relating with each other from those values and goals so that they can have connected, joyful lives together and that are in alignment with their purpose um, and that feel really good. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'm really excited about to have this conversation. Um, I know that we've talked some, but the whole point, you know, of this podcast and of Legacy Through Motherhood is that we're changing these just generational cycles, whether it be, you know, addiction or something. I mean, even something major like that, or even something quote unquote smaller as far as just even like yelling or connecting with our children or whatever. So can you kind of explain some like I, I think that I've probably heard it before, but once I kind of started following you and watching some of your videos, just conscious parenting and what that looks like and what that is and, um, you know, how we can kind of implement it in our day-to-day -day life with our kids. Yeah. So I talk a lot about conscious parenting and respectful parenting. And I mean, really respectful, they're kind of two terms for the same thing. So respectful parenting comes from the idea that we are all born inherently worthy of being treated with dignity and respect. So right from the very start, we need to look at our children, those little babies, as full humans right from the very beginning and parent them and raise them and guide them and nurture them in a way that respects um, their dignity. Um, and that we are also, by virtue of our humanity, worthy of those same things, dignity, compassion, grace, and respect. And so that's, I mean, that's where respectful parenting starts. And the conscious piece of it comes in um, 
by recognizing that our tendencies, our defaults, um, sometimes even our instincts as a parent often come from a place of kind of what was done to us, how we were parented, and often from a very unconscious place. So much of the time when we are parenting without kind of thinking, we are parenting um, in a way that is not intentional and we're reactive instead of responsive with our kids. And so a big piece of respectful and conscious parenting is becoming aware of our default and working to make sure that what the way that we show up as parents with our kids um, and as partners, you know, if we're parenting with a partner and with kind of just in all of our relationships, um, that we are showing up in a conscious, intentional way. So what does that um, what does that look like? So I, I know I listened to one of your podcast episodes that you had recommended, and it was talking about using your and this could be totally unrelated, but it was talking about like using your triggers as a parent to kind of um, I guess bring like what is unconscious to us, the way we're reacting, the way we're yelling, the way we're whatever. Um, so are like <laughs> the certain things that we get super annoyed with with our kids is that like a um, like a light bulb moment almost of like, hey, this is something that I'm clearly struggling with. Like, does that kind of lead us into figuring out what we're struggling with unconsciously? Um, yes, that's certainly a piece of it. Triggers are this beautiful thing that are, you know, we, I think we think about triggers as this bad thing that we need to push away and not have, you know, as parents, but it's not. These are beautiful times when your wise brain and body is saying, hello, there's a wound here. Come and heal me. You know, please come pay attention to this because I'm hurting and I need yeah. help, you know? And so like changing your relationship to a trigger and what it is and what it's inviting you to do is a big part of conscious parenting. But it's not just with triggers either. It's with kind of just like everything with parenting. So like, um, you know, thinking about like when you see your kids um, getting dressed, you know, for school and their hair is messy and you feel compelled to start brushing it without asking them, or you um, get invited into a power struggle about brushing their hair and you um, you're caught up in these scripts of like, okay, so what if I drop my kids off at school and the other moms in the pickup line or drop off line, you know, what are they going to be thinking about me? What will the teachers think about me? I'm going to get CPS called on me if I, my kids go, to school in dirty clothes, you know, like you're just, your brain kind of just floats away from you and takes you down this path of kind of unconscious thought cycles that influence how we show up with our kids, you know, how we, the, the, you know, the power struggle of like, you have to brush your hair and it feels like an emergency because it's tied to worthiness and lovability. And we're oftentimes we are completely unaware that that internal conversation, that narrative, that story is happening in the background of our brains and that it's driving how we are actively parenting our kids. That's, that's what conscious parenting is about is becoming aware of the narrative and like, holding it up to the light. Is it true? Is this really what I like? Is this really what I want to convey to my kids that the tidiness of their hair is so important that I'm willing to risk my relationship with you? Okay. So this is good. So (laughs) I feel, no, I, well, first of all, I will say, I, I feel like I have a pretty good handle on parenting though. I say that and my oldest is seven. So like, come on. Um, but 
I feel like, you know, sometimes like if my kids are well behaved or my kids are whatever, like that's kind of where we put our identity and parenting in. You just have so many like those little videos and whatever. And I feel like I've watched them like, wow, that's a great way to like approach this or um, whatever. For example, I think one time you were talking about just a kid not cleaning something up. I think it was maybe your daughter like not had her snowflake something. I don't even know what it was all over the floor. And like, um, you know, she just didn't like clean it up. And ultimately it got like stepped on or ripped or whatever. And just you talked about how you built a relationship in that moment. And I'm like, wow, I don't look for those kind of things. So how do you feel like you've been um, just since you've been studying this and whatever, like how is how are you approaching parenting differently in situations where your kids maybe aren't listening or don't want to brush their hair or whatever that might look like? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the brushing hair thing, like that power struggle happened to me and it didn't feel good. And I was wrestling with my daughter trying to get her hair brushed. We were with my mother-in-law and my mother-in-law has this this theory about tidiness of hair and what it means and its attachment to to kind of your worth and, you know, uh, lovability and all of those things. Um, and I totally took it on. You know, she had been telling me for days, like, gosh, I brush my daughter's hair, you know, 13 times a day just to make sure it was neat and tidy. And I totally had just taken that on. And then like, I was in the midst of this power struggle with my then three-year-old, she's seven now too. My oldest is seven. And I like, I stopped in the middle of it and I was like, what am I doing? I don't care about her hair. I care about her. I care about how, like, I want her to know that her appearance has nothing to do with her worth as a person. And I want her to know that so deep down in her bones that when some jerk in 20 years says something to her at, at a bar that she's able to say like, no, that has not like, that has nothing to do with me. That's you and walk away, you know, like I, and like, that's what we're doing here. And I mean, and so, but that, like that moment of like pause and awareness, that's the first step. And that takes practice that like, that is hard work in and of itself, just becoming aware in the moment of like, what, wait, what am I doing? You know, what, like, where, where is this coming from? What story am I listening to? Do I actually believe that story? Is that story actually true? No? Okay, I, now I can do something different. Now I can choose what I want my kids to know, what I want my behavior, my parenting to communicate to them. Because that's what this, that's what parenting does. So when our kids are young, we form an attachment relationship with them. And at the very beginning, when they're little babies, the attachment relationship is very behavioral and it's very about much about getting needs met. Um, they learn how to signal to us in ways that keep us close, bring us to them and help them get their needs met. Um, and so by the time kids are six months old, they often have a, an attachment strategy that we can measure. We can look at um, a parent and mother and child or father and child, a um, caregiver and infant dyad, it's called, and we can measure what it looks like. Um, and as that attachment relationship grows, it morphs from being about physical proximity to being about, um, it's the vehicle through which children learn about themselves and about the world, um, whether they're safe in the world, um, whether they're lovable, whether they're worthy of unconditional love and support, whether their parents, you know, um, are confident, calm leaders, um, you know, whether their parents are going to have their back or they're going to have to do it on their own. And all of those things inform what's called our internal working model, 
of ourselves and others. And the early childhood, eight and under, is when that internal working model is formed. And then that model is what informs the stories we tell ourselves. Um, Those stories get more ingrained in late childhood and the teenage years. Um, And then we carry them with us. Like this story with the, like the hair thing. Um, I have curly hair and my parents both have straight hair. Uh, And my hair got really curly in my teenage years. And I would ask my mom, like, how does my hair look? And she would say to me, well, I think you could run a brush through it. And she didn't understand, you know, what would happen to curly hair if I ran a brush through it. Like, I'm sure if you have curlies, girls listening to your podcast, they're like, no, don't do that. (laughs) One big frizz ball, yep. (laughs) Right? Um, But it was a like there was this underlying message of your hair doesn't look neat and tidy and so you aren't good enough you know and that message got triggered by my mother-in-law harping on me about brushing my kids hair you know what i mean like and and so and then that story that worry that fear of being unworthy and unlovable came out in my parenting and like that that's what conscious parenting is it's looking at that and healing it in myself, understanding like I don't have to pass that on to my kids. I can make the choice right now with my parenting behavior to have my kids care. Like they don't give a care <laughs> about their hair, you know, um, that they can be fully confident in themselves regardless of their appearance. Like what a gift. And I can do oh. that with my parenting behavior, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I think it's really interesting too. So just sticking with this hair example, because I think it's such a good one. Like when you were a child, the fact that your mom told you to, you know, run a brush through it or whatever, and that gave you an identity of like, you know, whatever. Um, I think that as an adult, and I'm, and I'm really just regurgitating kind of what I heard um, when I listened to your podcast, but, you know, as an adult, we think of that and think, why would you ever tie your you know, worth to like what your mom said about your hair. But as a child, like you're not thinking logically. You don't have that frontal part of your brain form. So like little things like that really are like identity shapers for a child. Oh, and they are. And do you know what is amazing about this? Is that like when my mom said that, there was a wounded child within her that was speaking to me too. So she grew up um, as the older, you know, kind of perfect sister in her um, family. She had an older brother who, you know, made lots and lots and lots of mistakes and was very difficult. And so she kind of was the perfect child. Um, And her younger sister was the pretty one who always got praised. You know, she's blonde. She's so pretty. And so my mom has had like has and my mom is a beautiful woman, but she has this this injury around appearance. And she was very careful in not wanting to hand that injury to me. But the way she went about it was by praising my appearance all the time, giving me the praise she never got around my appearance. And so then when she withheld my appearance, you know, praise on my appearance. You felt like something was wrong. Something was wrong. Yeah. And I mean, like, even just like, even that fact. So there's this funny story in my, um, and I, I shared this picture recently on social media. Um, but there's this funny story that like, by the time I was three, I was already wearing a mask around appearance. I, there, I had this dress that was really itchy and scratchy. And my mom saw me looking at myself in the mirror and she, I didn't know she was listening. And I said to myself, this dress is really uncomfortable and scratchy, but I look adorable. So I don't care. Like I was already wearing the mask 
that women learn early to put on, you know, uh, are like negating our own discomfort for whatever it is that we need to do to be acceptable and loved, you know, like it's, and it was unintentional. Like my mom is an amazing mom. She is wonderful. And, and it wasn't her fault. This was no fault of hers at all. It just happened. It just, it just happens. And we will do those, these things to our kids. I will, in 15 years, my kids will sit down in therapy and they'll have a great therapist and they'll talk about all the injuries right. that they carry from childhood, despite my best efforts, you know, right. despite all my efforts at conscious, you know, parenting, they will still come out of childhood with wounds that they have to heal. And that's their work. And I get to do my work now. So there is no perfect parents. We're all parenting out of like our own experiences, our own traumas, our own, you name it. Um, perspectives. And so, and then as we become a parent, um, you know, just looking at that within ourselves. And so can you talk about a little bit what reparenting is and kind of, because I, I felt like that was a really powerful, empowering, I guess, thing where you kind of have some control over your past a little bit, right? Or like just the sense of working on something so that you can parent out of a better and healthier place for your kids. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, inner parenting or, or sorry, reparenting or inner child work um, is absolutely a critical part of being a respectful, conscious parent. Um, I really, I mean, uh, any, all parents should be working on reparenting their inner child. Um, and the thing is, is that so they- I've literally never, I feel like I've read a lot of parenting books. Uh, not a lot, probably like six, but <laughs> I've never heard of reparenting ever. So I don't, cool. so I don't know how, I mean, you may like, I don't know how I'd be curious to see how many people have ever heard of it. Um, or I don't know if, do you feel like people have heard of it or do you feel like it's a new term or maybe some, maybe they just don't call it that, but they kind of know what it is. Yeah. I feel like reparenting is getting to be more popular. The reparenting hashtag on Instagram is great. And it's a good one to follow if you're interested. Mm-hmm. And the inner child hashtag on Instagram is also good. And there's a couple um, accounts um, and they're like blanking. I'm blanking them off the top of my head right now who do a really nice job um, of talking about what reparenting and what inner child work looks like. Um, there's also a really great podcast um, if you want more to, um, called the adult chair. Um, and she has a method of lining, like laying this out. That's really great. But what it comes down to really is that most of our unconscious scripts, most of the stories that we tell ourselves, um, most of the things that we think, you know, that like maybe aren't really true, but we kind of catch ourselves thinking them like, I mean, that's what mindful parenting is about, about slowing down, dropping into the present moment and becoming aware of kind of the chatter in your brain. But most of those things are kind of being said by hurting kids within us, you know, the kids that um, learned that, you know, these are the things you need to do to be loved. And these are the things you cannot possibly do to be loved. Um, And that kid inside of us is our unconscious and our unconscious doesn't know that we've grown up. And so our unconscious can be soothed and reap and parented in a kind, loving, conscious way that maybe we didn't get growing up and be healed pretty quickly. It can ha- like it can happen pretty fast. Um, and so like I literally like will just kind of pop my inner child out in those moments. So like when I'm feeling triggered, I have some story that's coming up about my kid just, you know, I so I was a stubborn 
<laughs> resistant kid growing up. Um, and I have all sorts of stories about, about myself and what it means to be stubborn and not just do what you're told and all of those things. And of course, those my brain starts talking to me when my own challenging daughter starts showing up that way. Um, and I, I pull out, like I pull out my six-year-old who learned quickly that you, um, you can't do those things. And I comfort her while I'm comforting, comforting my older one. And I let that one see me parenting my child in this way. And it's incredibly healing. It's incredibly healing to, to do that. I don't know. Is that helpful? (laughs) This is really interesting. So when you are, um, okay, so say your daughter's being stubborn, you are, you become triggered and you kind of know, obviously now I'm sure you've just done a lot, I'm sure you've done a lot of work, just like inner work or whatever to kind of see these narratives that keep popping up. And so when you're parenting your daughter, are you saying you're consciously also like bringing back that six-year-old self of yours and like kind of talking to her also? Yeah, exactly. So sometimes I will picture myself. So I always keep pictures of myself that are the ages that my kids are so that it's easy for me to picture them. There's a type of therapy that um, called internal family systems where you kind of like um, externalize the parts of you that um, are call for attention or kind of act up or make you do things that you maybe your conscious self wouldn't do. Um, so when I'm parenting my daughter through a time when she's being stubborn and needs to do something that she doesn't want to do, and I'm responding with compassion and we're problem solving together, I like I will visualize myself standing with her so that the little one, the little version of me is also getting that, also feeling seen and heard and is being given grace and compassion, the grace and compassion that she maybe didn't get as much as she needed when she was little. That's really interesting. And do you feel like that helps you be less triggered when your daughter becomes stubborn? Or do you feel like you just can kind of notice it or, you know, call it what it is quicker? Yes. Yeah. So both. So eventually the trigger goes away. It's not a trigger anymore. So there's lots of things that were triggers for me as as a younger mom when my kids were littler and that are not anymore. Um, so yes, they they do eventually go away. Um, luckily, new triggers arise with every age. We're, we're, our work is never done as mothers, right? Oh my gosh! <laughs> but, yeah, but the um, they do go away, and you get better and better at noticing. You get better and better, like faster at stopping that flow of thoughts and actively and intentionally replacing the thoughts. So the the cognitive behavioral therapy model um, at is kind of what we're talking about here with the thoughts and changing the thoughts and the letting the thoughts change your feelings. And then, so when we, when we have a feeling in our bodies that comes up in an emotion, we've been thinking something that led to that feeling, whether we're aware of the thought or not. Um, and the circumstance that's coming that we're feeling it about triggered that thought. And then the thought triggered the feeling. And so if we, and then the feeling drives our behavior. So if we're frustrated and we act out of frustration, if we want to change the behavior, we've got to change the feeling. And if we want to change the feeling, you know, how we feel in these circumstances, we have to change what we're thinking. And so becoming aware of what we're thinking in that moment is the first step in that process and then replacing it with thoughts. And so some of those thoughts are, I see you, I, you know, to your inner child, I hear you. This is hard. It's hard to see your child be stubborn. 
um, because you learned that being stubborn loses you love and you're afraid for her. And I see you, you don't want her to lose love. It's really important that she be loved and she is loved. I'm loving her right now as I'm helping her. I've got her, you know, and you reassure and then you change the thought being stubborn is a good thing. Being stubborn makes you, can make you a, impactful and a leader and help you stand up for people. And you give the replacement thoughts that serve you and serve kind of your active conscious choice for how you want to live your life. Hey guys, popping in real quick to see who all my water drinkers are and who my water drinkers aren't. <laughs> At the beginning of every month, the Legacy Through Motherhood community embarks on like a five day momentum creator challenge. We did a 20 minutes a day reading challenge in May where our community read over 6,000 pages in just five days. And in June, we just did a decluttering challenge and decluttered for almost 7,000 minutes together those five days. I feel like community and accountability are so powerful when it comes to creating momentum. And there are things, you guys, that we wish we did more of, like reading our favorite books or decluttering areas of our home that are overwhelming. But things get moved to the back burner because, well, life, right? Like, my heart is to just pull these things to the front burner for just five days for you and to create a movement around them. So starting July 1st, we are going to kick off a water drinking challenge. Hello, one of the hottest months of the year, right? Water helps our body so much. Like it regulates our body temperature. It helps maintain healthy blood pressure, boosts our skin health, fights fatigue. Thank you, Jesus. Supports digestion, improves our mood. I mean, you guys, I could go on. So if you struggle with water intake, head over to the show notes of this episode or go to www.simsarrows.com. Dot com to sign up. And if you are great with your water, I would still love for you to sign up so that you can show us how it's done. All right. I will see you guys in there. I feel like one of my biggest, um, I don't know if it's like concerns or, you know, whatever it is. When one parent, when a parent does one thing, okay, let's just call it like addiction. Like we talked about this. If a parent is an alcoholic and then you, they have multiple kids and one kid never touches alcohol and the other kid becomes an alcoholic because, well, you know, I don't drink because my dad was an alcoholic or I'm an alcoholic because my dad was an alcoholic, right? And Mm -hmm. so you have these like two totally separate outcomes. Um, And so even outside of the addiction piece, um, I even think about like, I was just thinking the other day when I'm, I was sitting on the couch and I'm like, what is one thing that I want my kids to like take away? What is the one thing, you know, when you hear people be like, my mom always did this. But then I was like, well, crap, if it's this, then maybe one of my kids is going to run with it. And the other one's like never going to want to do this thing because I've like pounded it in so much, you know? And so I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm afraid to even like really hone in on something that's important to me or, or what I feel like would be important for my family because I'm afraid I'm going to like push one kid away from it and one kid towards it. I feel like that's confusing. So can you just, I don't know, touch on like, just like you were talking about with the different experiences, perspectives, different, whatever that kids, different kids can have under the same roof. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just because we're living in the same um, home does not mean that kids have the same environment that they're growing up in because an environment isn't something that can be isolated. An environment is always a context and it's dependent on who's interacting with it. So, um, 
you know, but I have one kid who's super sensitive to sounds and another kid who is not sensitive to sounds. And so when I run my blender, you know, my big, powerful Vitamix blender, one is like happily like, you know, like watching me make her smoothie. And the other one is running and crying and covering her ears. Cause I didn't warn her in time, you know, that yeah. sound was coming. Right. So the environment is exactly the same. And the way that they experience the environment is completely different because of their individual makeup, their temperament, um, their senses, their genetics, kind of how they process things. And so that's how kids who grow up in the same home, experiencing the same things, can have such different trajectories, right? And so, um, and the thing is, like, I I think parenting from a place of intention and goals and that question, like, Stephanie, that you were asking yourself, what do I want my kids to know is such a good first question. The next question, the next step in that is to look at your each of your kids and say, how does this child, this one child, pull out a picture of them, you know, pull up a picture of them. How can I convey this intention to them in the way that they will receive it? Because we we often give love in the way that we receive love, right? So we often give in the way that like, so this is how I, you know, if someone did this for me, this is how I would interpret it. And this is what I would know about them and their, how they feel about me. But each kid is different and individual. Um, so if we like your goal, I don't know what your goal for your kids is, but I want my kids to come out of their childhood with me, knowing that they are, um, lovable and worthy just as they are with all their messy pieces, all their dark shadowy places, all of their light, that kind of the full range is acceptable. That's what I want them to know. But the way that gets conveyed to each of my children will be different and individual. And I'll have to make sure that I'm not projecting my stuff onto them too. So make sure that I'm not just trying to convey that to them in the way that I would receive it, but I'm conveying it to them in the way that they will be able to receive it. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. I mean, my kids are all so different. Mm-hmm. Like it, my, I'm, but they are so stereotypical. Also, I have my like stereotypical firstborn, follow, rule follower, perfectionist, like super quick with academic, you know, whatever, just gets it. Um, my second sweetest person, just kind of a little bit shy, like, you know, just as sweet as could possibly be. Like, he's just got that sweet smile. He's just a little more reserved, whatever. Um, And then my third born is like my lion personality of just like, you know what I mean? Like going a hundred miles an hour, like the one that made me rethink my parenting strategies. Uh, (laughs) My fourth is just, you know, I don't know, he's not even two yet. So he's coming into himself. I'm trying, I think he's like a mix of all three, but it just, it's a constant challenge because I treat them all differently. And I feel like I don't I, I don't know where I feel like I've heard this or felt it, but like you feel like you need to treat your kids equally. And in reality, like I let one kid slide a lot more than I let another kid, but it's usually it's usually based on some kind of merit or I or I handle a kid, you know, the discipline different than, you know, say my oldest or whatever. So I feel like it's all different. And so I'm finding it hard to balance parenting them differently, but keeping it fair. Does that make sense? So how do you like manage all of, all of that with when you're trying to parent yours? 
Absolutely. So the one thing that like piece of wisdom I can give to you and to your listeners on this topic is to stop trying to parent your kids equally and start working towards parenting them uniquely or loving them uniquely. Um, So having the motto of everybody gets what they need in our family and everybody's needs are different, which means that if you have a kid who needs to be disciplined in a different way, you know, needs a different sort of structure, a different approach, give it to them without guilt. It's all about meeting individual needs and individual differences. Um, So I have one kid who is more challenging. She just is. That's like, it happens. Like she's much what like less likely to want to be told what to do. You know, it's much harder to get her to kind of move with kind of what needs to be happening next. And we have to have a different approach with her than we do with my little one who is silly and funny. And if like she says, she's not going to do something. If you like make it a game, she'll do, join you wholeheartedly, even though she knows like you're just doing it to get, <laughs> get her to do it. She doesn't care. Right. <laughs> you know, and, it, and it's okay for those things to be different. Um, and I think, you know, there's, um, there's this, it, when your kids start complaining about that, you know, um, first of all, don't talk about those things with all the kids there. Talk about them individually. Um, so if one is feeling like something's not fair, you know, that they're not getting, um, you know, what the other person is getting, say, let's let's go talk about it, just you and me. And so you go out, go somewhere in private, just the two of you to talk about it. And then when they start talking about like, you know, brother gets this and little brother gets this and why don't I get this? say to them something really powerful that all siblings will love to hear. I don't want to talk about your brother. I don't want to talk about them. I want to talk about you. What do you need? Cause you clearly don't have, you know, you clearly need something here. You're not getting what you need. And I want to make sure that you do. And they start bring up brother again. Nope. I don't want to talk about brother. I'm, I'm here with you. I want to talk about you and really hold firm on that boundary that we're going to talk about you and your needs. We're not going to worry about what that other person is getting because they have different needs than you do. And we're going to focus on your needs. Um, And there's also a really helpful image of, um, there's this image that's used to teach about the difference between equality and equity. I don't know if you've seen that image, but it's about, um, it's got three kids who are trying to watch a baseball game over a fence. Um, One's a baby, one's a toddler, and one's a bigger kid. And um, they, in the um, equality one, they give them each a box to stand on. And the, you know, the taller middle um, childhood kid can easily see over the fence while he's on the box. Um, The toddler can kind of see over the fence, is able to peek over. And of course, the baby can't see over the fence. Um, And then the other image is of equity, where the baby is given two boxes to stand on, the toddler is given one box to stand on, and the kid who's older who can see over the fence without a box at all is given no boxes. And that's kind of the everybody gets what they need instead of everybody gets equal. And that image, I don't know that it's the best for teaching equality and equity. There's been some debate around that in the kind of the political science sphere, um, but um, it's a great way to teach it to kids to kids who are fighting over my brother got a new pair of shoes. Why don't I get a new pair of shoes? You know? Absolutely. And I, I feel like as a parent um, and probably speaking for any parent who has like a more difficult child, I felt like there was a while there where I felt like all, I was right when he turned, oh gosh, three, right Mm -hmm. around that three, like just third and three. And listen, 
I had not had the terrible twos or the threes with my older two, right? Like my firstborn was like a rule follower and then my second was just silly and like whatever. And so this was like a whole cake what is happening. Um, and so, but I remember, I, I remember being kind of armed with this thought process of like, you know, I don't necessarily need to um, discipline them all the same, right? My three-year-old, I needed to discipline him eight times an hour where my oldest two, I disciplined them twice a day. And so I felt like all of a sudden with my third, because it was just discipline and discipline. And I mean, I was like, not like mean or spanking or even anything. There was timeouts. Um, but it was just like, oh my gosh, pick up this toy or get in your room. And you know what I mean? It was just this like defiance. And so I just felt really defeated because I felt like I'm ruining this relationship Mm. with my third because kid won't listen. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so that was really hard for me to like realize, you know, he really does need a lot more correction and guidance. He may even need different expectations too. So he might have less ability for whatever reason, executive functioning, dysfunction, you know, there's a reason why he's bumping up against expectations that he can't meet. Um, And so sometimes we need to give supports so expectations are easier for kids to meet. But sometimes we have to relax expectations too. We have to reduce the number of expectations or a particular expectation that is really challenging for a kid to meet with any consistency, you know? And so like, and that's okay too. It's okay to have different expectations for our kids at different points in their development. They, again, the expectations don't all have to be the same either. Our approach doesn't have to be the same. You know, they're individual kids. It's okay to individualize our approach. You know, I mean, that's the gold standard of teaching. Why wouldn't we do that with parenting, you know? Right. Yep. No, I feel like that makes sense. And I remember just being at a complete loss. Um, I talked about this in another episode, but the I, I, I mean, I was sitting on the couch like I don't – This I'm literally just asking him to put a shoe in the bin that's two feet away and he's just staring at me and he's like inching it with his finger, you know what I mean, like <laughs> across the floor. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, like what the – he already had been in timeout like three times, just, just one shoe in a bin. That's all I needed. But it was just we were head to head. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm trying something different here. And I said, hey, Graham, I need somebody super fast, you know, put that shoe in the bin. Um, Laura, he, I mean, he literally went and put the dag on shoe in a bin in like under two seconds. I'm like, okay, hold on a second. We're on to something. And I'm like, okay, I need somebody super kind to go pick up that book and put it. And he ran, you know what I mean? And did it. And so that was a game changer for us. So now we're like, and he's, all my boys are blonde hair, blue eyes. He's my only green eyed boy. And so now we'll be like, Hey, we need somebody with green eyes to like go do whatever, you know? And I feel like that just changed everything. I I love that. And, you know, it's interesting. So I feel like a number of things went on right there. First, you were playful. And kids who are that age cannot resist playfulness most of the time. Um, So you invited him to do the thing in a playful way. It was beautiful. The other thing is you assumed the best of them. And we all as humans do better when the people who are kind of making decisions for us or asking us to do things um, are assuming the best of us. You know, we all do better when we're in an environment where everybody is just kind of thinks like, we've got this, you know, we're competent, we're loving, we're good people. Like everybody does better when we're in an environment like that. And then the other thing is, is that you 
you, you stopped struggling. So we get into power struggles with our kids. And there are some kids who invite us into power struggles way more. And I would just, I don't, again, I don't know your history a lot, but I just, I kind of wonder if you were a strong-willed kid at one point in the in time, if you were resistant or defiant at some point, I do have curiosity about that. But oftentimes, if we are in a power struggle with our kids, we can think about it as um, like we're having a tug of war, right? You were in a tug of war over that shoe with your three-year-old, right? And when you shifted and you said something different, you dropped the rope. You took the struggle out of it. And that is... That's what power struggles need because a power struggle really isn't like, it's not a fair fight. You're the grown up. Like if you wanted to, you could make him put the shoe in the basket. That probably wouldn't feel good. It probably doesn't feel good to anybody, you know, to, to do to either of you to do that, but you could, because you're big, you know, you're strong. You could exert power over him. Like a power struggle with a three-year-old is pretty pointless and usually ends up with everybody feeling not so good, but so, and you dropped the rope and you allowed him the opportunity to save face. So even three-year-olds want to be able to save face. Even three-year-olds feel backed into a corner and feel like they want to do the right thing. But if they do, then they're letting themselves down or they've taken this strong stand. And, you know, like you, you gave him the opportunity to do the thing while saving face. Well, and just the connection, I feel like, Mm -hmm. like, I feel like you are just someone who breathes connection above pretty much anything else. Um, Absolutely. That's the other thing. Like in that moment, like we can all get caught into it. And I don't want any, Stephanie, I don't want anybody listening to this or you to think that I don't get caught into power struggles with my kids. And I don't do this, make mistakes, like parenting mistakes on a daily basis. Cause I totally do. Um, but in that moment, like we let our narrative, our thoughts, what we're saying, like, why is this kid so stubborn? Why will he just do the thing? like take over the the idea that like it is a shoe going in a basket more important than my relationship with my son because that's what's happening right now like that's what's at stake you know and you know what I mean and like and we all get caught up in that sometimes um and we just have to kind of bring ourselves back to our true intentions our true goals you know what do we really want our kids to know about themselves and about our family and how we show up with each other and I feel like just, you know, with him, it was like, man, we are just going nonstop. And, you know, I kept thinking like, this is what he needs though. Do you know, like these are, this is what he needs to be like a productive child. I don't know. I just, I felt like there was a lot of um, just struggle between me and him and, you know, whatever. But here's, here's my question to you is it doesn't matter what, what kid, hard kid, easy kid, whatever. Like, where is the line between, well, maybe there's not a line. Maybe it's always building connection. But like, where is that line between, you know, let's build connection. Let's talk through this. Let's problem solve. Let's, you know, whatever. And then like, I really, I need, I'm, I am the adult. So like, really, you do need to do this because we need to leave. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I am very like, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about this reason. Like, there are some times when you're like, first of all, just straight up defiance um, or like you need to go somewhere or, you know what I mean? Like those, you don't have a lot of time and like really they do need to listen because they are the child. Like where is there a line with, you know, that or how do we do it quicker so we can do it in those moments? (laughs) Yeah. So um, being proactive around those things is really important. So like if you know it's always a battle to get out of the house, don't try to negotiate getting out of the house when you're in the midst of that like 
that moment in time when you're trying to get out of the house. That is not the time to do it. You're mad and anxious and frustrated about like not getting somewhere on time. They're frustrated that they had to stop playing or whatever it was that they were doing before. Like they, they're doing something they don't want to do. Like it's just not a good time to have a problem solving discussion. So if there are times in your day that you know are a battle or know are a little rough or you kind of are predictable, those are ones that you can proactively problem solve. During a calm, connected time, a time where you guys um, are feeling good about each other, um, and then you can problem solve. And I have two videos on my Facebook page that talk a little bit about that that I think would be good for folks who are interested in learning how to problem solve with their kids. Um, but then like sometimes we have to like, I've carried a kicking, screaming toddler to the car and buckled them in when we had to go. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes we have to do those things. Um, Sometimes we have to, you know, especially with younger kids who are um, still working on becoming self-regulated. Sometimes we have to be their source of regulation. And sometimes that like, so part of that means sharing our calm. So when they're really heightened, when they're triggered, when they're, you know, aroused, when their flight or fight system. And, you know, when a kid is running away from you or is kicking you or is saying hurtful things, that's fight or flight. You know that they're in fight or flight right then. Um, When they're in that place, um, our state can help regulate their state. So we have to work super hard to stay calm, to breathe for ourselves. You can say to yourself, this isn't an emergency. You know, if we're five minutes late for the doctor's office, it won't, you know, it won't be the end of the world. Um, if I'm having thoughts about what the doctor will think, if I'm a late hot mess mom walking in, I can quiet those thoughts and deal with them later. And right now I'm going to take a breath for me and myself. I'm going to take a breath for my child. And like the process of taking that breath of letting them see you take that breath and calm yourself. Um, we have these beautiful things called mirror neurons in our brains and your kids. Um, when they see you take that breath, that breath response will also be triggered in them and they will take a breath too. Um, and they'll start calming. And so, but yeah, sometimes you, you do have to do, do the thing. Um, and then you do it with lots of respect and compassion. I know this is hard. It's time to go. Um, that's what you're saying. You, consciously let love flow through your arms from your heart to your fingertips so that when you touch them you know that only love is coming through in that touch I'm going to scoop you up and help your body I'm going to help you get to your car seat or I'm going to I can't let you hit your sister I'm going to keep you safe come with me we're going here you know or um you know, I can tell you need some alone time. I'm going to help you to your room. Come with me. Do you want me to stay with you? Okay. I'm right here when you need me. You know, those are, I mean, and you're, you're, you're calm. You're and and if you can't be calm, then you take a break, you get everybody safe. But when they're in fight or flight though, your only goal right then is to de-escalate and get their, their thinking and feeling brain back online because when they're running away from you or kicking you or saying hurtful things, their learning centers are completely offline. Their emotional processing centers are completely offline. Their language processing centers also completely offline. They're not rational thinkers. They are very out of control with their body. And really in that moment, what they need is to come back to themselves. Um, And that's lots of calming and and peace. They need you to be kind of loaning that to them in those moments. Yeah. We use the, um, like the brain as your hand where you're like, yeah, they flip their lid. I just, I just explained that to Noah and like, cause he'll just get, he's, he's usually pretty good, but sometimes he'll just get into these, like, it's not a panic attack, but it's 
similar. Um, but he just gets really, really worked up and at um, whatever. And so I just like, you know what, we need to have this conversation of what's happening. So I will literally just put my four fingers up, you know, with my thumb in the middle of my hand. Um, and like, and he'll just look at me like, oh, okay, we'll get like a weighted blanket. You know what I mean? I'm like, let's just calm down. Like we can't even have a conversation here. So, um, so yeah, it definitely, and I'm a, I'm a, a teacher. I was a special ed teacher for seven oh, years or whatever. Cool. Um, and so I feel like that whole, like there is just such power in not being escalated. Like if they're at a 10, you need to be at a one. Like the more escalated I feel like they are, the less you need to be. And that's just way and much more effective. Right. And they'll match you. They, they, you know, so if everybody's screaming and they're coming, like your kids are fighting and they're screaming at each other, come in with a quiet like voice, come in and whisper, like with a really intent look on your, you know, face and they, they will stop because they will want to hear what you have to say. You know, they, they will come down with you. They'll match you. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that would just builds some trust too when you can seem regulated because if everyone is going crazy, then I feel like it's just like, okay, I don't know who to trust. I don't feel safe. You know, like who here has some control over their emotions and hopefully, hopefully it's us, but um, you know, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. No, and they're, they're asking questions with that behavior too. So when they're limit testing and boundary pushing and, you know, all of those things are asking, like, are you in charge or am I in charge? Do you have this? Can I trust you? Will you keep me safe? Like they're asking those questions with your behavior, with their behavior, and you get to answer them with yours. Yes, I've got you. No, I won't let you hurt yourself. Yes, I'll keep you safe. You know, you answer it by following through with your, you know, with your behavior, with kindness and compassion, to, you know, all wrapped into it. Yes. And I just, I th- I feel like this just keeps pointing back to like, we have to be working on ourselves mm-hmm. <laughs> because, because as much as I was just listening to something and there was, they were talking about like, um, these, uh, ideal, like, I don't know, just like virtual virtues or like things that we hold really dear and important to us of like who we wish we were or wanted to be our values or whatever. Um, that there's like a desired value that is kind of like, fantasy land. Like we wish we were patient, didn't yell, family dinners every night. Like we have this version of our parenting that we like wish we were, but then there's this actual thing where, um, I'm yelling in two seconds. You know what I mean? My voice is raised. Now I'm annoyed. I'm impatient. I'm all of these things. And so I feel like what's really powerful with what the way that you approach things and just even like hearing you talk through examples, I feel like it's really powerful that there is a different way to like do this. You just have to like take a second to freaking breathe, which I think is hard sometimes in this culture because we are go, 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 go. So I feel like slowing down in this quarantine really has helped just like have a freaking second. You know what I mean? To just like think through things before we're reacting. Absolutely. And so as you were talking, two things came up for me. First of all, the overarching outcome of all of the literature on child development and parenting, if we take, you know, big meta studies, where they take data from lots and lots of different studies and put it all together, the message of that research, this big body of 100 years of child development research is that good enough parenting is where it's at. And we don't have to be perfect parents. We don't need, you know, we don't want to be abusive or neglectful. We want to be in that sweet spot of balance in the middle. Good enough. Okay. And that like, and that's it. Like it, there, there, you might do things unconsciously that pass on wounds to your kids and they have to, the, that will be that generation's, you know, part to deal with. We can focus on what we need to heal and, um, 
and do that work ourselves that we need to do and trust that the next generation will do that work. And I, and that's the other piece of this. So I know your podcast is all about the legacy that we hand um, to our, to our future generations, to our family that we're creating um, and that our motherhood is the way in which we can be empowered to, to drive that legacy. If we're thinking about a conscious, intentional legacy, we have to be aware of the patterns that have been handed to us that are already in play, right? That are already there. And so if we are wanting to have, you know, this we or we decide what we hand to our kids, we have to first become aware and be conscious. That like that's what conscious parenting is and being active in um, responsive and deciding what it is we want to do rather than just reacting off of old scripts, right? So, I mean, the thing with like parenting and legacies is that um, with some, with some of the intergenerational transmission of, you know, various things like um, poverty, you know, there's different things. It, some of it can be fast to be healed within a family. Um, parenting is one of the most powerful ways that, those things are transmitted. It's the vet, like it's the vehicle that our values and our um, worth, like that's how, like how the stories that are transmitted usually is through parenting. And so becoming more conscious in your parenting gives you more control and puts you in the driver's seat of the legacy that you want to leave for your kids. Um, just as an example though, like it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. Right. And so like we can be the point of change in our family. We can be that inflection point where the curve changes direction. Uh, You know, maybe our family has been on this one path for years and now we are being the one who's going to become aware and is going to awaken and become conscious. Just know that then that the healing doesn't happen in just one generation. It takes multiple generations, just like it took multiple generations to get in there. It's going to take multiple generations to come out too. So, but we can be those inflection point families, those inflection point parents. Um, Like, so my, my grandmother grew up in a home with 16 kids um, and a father who was abusive, was harsh belts, you know, like it's hard to even talk about. I never knew about it while she was alive. My dad told me about it later. Um, she in turn had five boys and also um, used a switch from time to time and had moments where she completely lost control. Um, my parents never hurt me, never hit me, never laid a hand on me. Um, he, my dad was the person who said, we're not going to do that. You know, they, you know, I were, there's going to be something different about how we approach it. That's, it wasn't, you know, right for my mom. It wasn't right when it happened to me and it's not happening to my kids. They were that point in change. You know, I'm still, they still handed me stuff though. They didn't hit me, but they hurt me emotionally. Um, just like we all do. It's part of being human. And I, so there's work for me to do now in the generation that is currently in the active phase of parenting. That's my work that I'm doing. And there will be work for my kids to do when they start becoming, if they decide to be parents, there will be work for them too. And that that's how change happens through a generation. That's how a legacy changes, right? And so a, a legacy of violence shifted to one of um, connection and compassion. Um, and it's active, it's still actively shifting. And I will eventually like, 
will hand that to my kids and then they will be in charge of that legacy. You know, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, and I think that it's, um, yes, this is the conversation that I have all the time. It's, it's that like screeching of wheels for something that's not healthy. Um, that is on, have, has been ongoing in your family tree, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, like just realizing, I mean, think about like our, just our five topics, like financial devastation, divorce, like, well, you know, finances, mindset, marriage, health, um, what's the other one, whatever. But the opposite of those, what we're fighting against is divorce and financial hardship and just like crippling mindset issues, self-limiting beliefs, like, you know, just poor health, like all of these things. And so, you know, they get passed down. And so at some point, and, and honestly, like your mindset could be wonderful, but then you really struggle with your finances or whatever it might be. I mean, that's where we hit on, on the podcast, but the point is like, okay, this feels comfortable. And it's the whole, like, you'd rather be, um, what's the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't know kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's like, we need to recognize like, this is actually not okay. And sometimes it's not always starkly obvious, um, like a, an abuse or an addiction. Sometimes it's just like, you like just even yelling or just, um, you know, I don't know, whatever. And so I just think that, being the ones to like start to grip that like I don't in my mind I think of it as like falling down this rope <laughs> just like bad poor generational decisions from everyone's family and then being the one to like hold tighter and just completely like stop and that's not easy to like stop momentum and start to climb back up um and and for that to be you that's I mean that's just really hard and I was my mother um kind of did that she was kind of the hold the rope tight and like come to a, you know, complete stop and start to climb back up so that now, you know, we're still, we fell a lot. (laughs) We fell pretty far down there, but now, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like our ceiling is our kid's floor type thing. It's like, so she was able to stop the momentum of, you know, X, Y, and Z. And now I'm on her shoulders climbing back up the rope and then hopefully my children back up also. Um, So I just feel like that's all really powerful. It is. It's so, it's so important. And it's, but it's also like important to continue to be aware of our histories too, of, of the like genetic legacy that we carry with us that we have very little control over turning off and on. So like when we, when our ancestors experience certain stressors, certain genes get turned on and they're on for good. They, you know, they probably won't be turned back off again. So like my children are um, the great grandchildren of Auschwitz survivors. Um, They have certain genetic differences because of it in their stress response system. Um, They have heightened stress response systems. One of them in particular um, seems to have gotten a little bit more of that and it's there. Like she will carry anxiety with her forever. And it's not like those, so those things are there and they will be there whether we're conscious of them or not. So we may as well, again, like the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't know, like we may as well be aware of them and work and give her tools for how to soothe those so that she doesn't get caught up in numbing behavior like alcoholism, which would be super easy to shift into when you have a heightened stress response system. You know, like, I mean, it's like, there's certain realities of the legacies that we were handed to us through our genetics or through circumstances. Um, it doesn't do any good to deny them. I was going to say, like, how important of it is it that they know their history and they know their their past so that they can, like, 
you know, equip themselves to be able to handle that or at least even just, I mean, even just understand themselves, I feel like a little better is super powerful. Like, why am I, you know, this way or whatever? And it's like, there's just some heritage and some culture and some, you know what I mean? Like all mixed up that like makes you who you are. And I feel like that's really powerful. So you feel like they still feel that now, even though they've clearly been like super removed from that? Yeah, there's research on that's been done on the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors that um, they have certain genes turned on in their stress response systems that make them more reactive um, and more likely to survive. Right. So, um, I mean, that's what epigenetics is. It's the study of how um, how circumstances and environment change genetic expression and how that is transmitted to future generations. And there's absolute research that our experiences um, change our DNA, and then we pass those changes on to our kids. Um, and so it's and just like there's epigenetics research on alcoholism too. There's there's a very genetic component um, to alcoholism. And if you have alcoholism in your family history, you absolutely have to talk with your kids um, about it as they move towards, you, you know, being of the age that experimentation might happen. And, um, you have to let them know, like your body might react differently. Your body, your body might process alcohol differently. You might feel less con- um, in control with alcohol. Here are some ways to help you and, um, t- you know, stay in control. Here are some things to, you know, to look out for, um, you know, and just being honest with it. My, my grandfather was an alcoholic, um, and I might, you know, I will have those conversations with my kids one day because there was a time when alcoholism or alcohol use was out of control within me. Um, And I wish someone had had that conversation with me that there's a reason why it's harder for me to manage um, than maybe it is for other people. Um, And I wish I had been better prepared for that, you know? Sure, sure. And I think there's just also that whole conversation between um, like being predisposed to something mm-hmm. and being predestined to have something. So it's not this like, you know, well, my, my dad did this. So now I just, I have the gene. <laughs> so I just feel like there's a, there's just this, there's this, um, hardness, hardship. I don't know what, what the word is of like, dang, dang, like that does run in my family, you know, and there's a higher risk. There's a higher, you know, whatever, but there's still hope in the fact that like, you're not predestined to X, Y, and Z. Like, you're just predisposed to it. And I was reading um, somewhere. The heck was I reading? I can't remember. Um, maybe Dr. Caroline Leaf's book, one of her books. But it was talking about just like coping skills is one of the most important things. Like especially with when you come, when you talk addiction and whatever else. Like you know the like you teaching your children to have coping skills for you know the X, Y, and Z in life um, is actually one of the biggest things that you can do for them. Absolutely. I mean, because that's like, that's what addiction is generally is self medication, right? And so, like, can we find other ways to cope and sit with and allow our, you know, our feelings? I mean, and that's part of respectful parenting, too, is if we can raise a generation of kids who have not been shamed for their feelings, who haven't who have been taught how to actively regulate them instead of stuffing them or pushing them away, I think we're going to see a great decrease in things like, um, things like addiction, just because they'll have other coping skills. They'll know how to sit with their feelings. They'll know how to regulate them and move through them. And I feel like it's, it used to be that, you know, especially men, um, just thinking like of my four boys, but like, especially men, like you don't talk about your feelings. Like you don't oh cry. My, you yeah. don't, you know, there's a whole world there of like, 
oh, when you are a male. <laughs> you yeah. Can't. Stephanie, when I work with couples, like my first two sessions really have to be about te- like if I'm working with a heterosexual couple, like my first two sessions are pretty much educating the man in his feelings. Like there are more fe- emotions than bad, sad, and upset. Hungry is an emotion. An emotion. It's a physical sensation. Like I bust <laughs> the emotion wheel and I'm like, look, we're going to get real good at this because you were yeah. like, you know, um, I mean that like, oh yes. Oh, we do such a disservice to our men. Oh, I know. I, I part of me is so glad that I get to raise girls and women <laughs> that I don't have to worry about that so much. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, and you know, and people and, and when I feel like people even say, like they'll literally say, Oh, you need to have a daughter, like your boys are gonna leave you, or like you need oh. to have you need to have a daughter because like your boys aren't going to just call up you on the phone and like talk to you like a daughter would and you know, whatever they make comments, which I'm like, okay, that's annoying. But I'm also like, I don't think you understand. Like, have you heard my kids? They literally don't shut up. <laughs> they talk all the time. Granted, they're still younger, but still I'm like, um, I don't know. I think I'm pretty sure my, my <laughs> gram is going to be living in my basement until he's 28. Cause that kid is just like the biggest mama's boy he tells me, I mean, everything. Um, <laughs> But yes, I mean, that's a challenge, you know, like, and to even change that. I mean, I feel like my husband is like open. He's not, I mean, you know, I wouldn't say he's super sensitive, um, but I would say that he's very open, like emotionally just in general. But I just, I find it's funny because it's almost like, um, like a cultural change is happening, like broad, not even just in the family unit, but just like broad where it's becoming more acceptable. Like emotional intelligence is a huge thing now. <laughs> who oh, who yeah. thought? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be huge. I mean, the research is showing that um, emotional intelligence or EQ is going to be more important than IQ in the next um, like 20 years. Like it's going to just, it's so important for your kid's success. I mean, in terms of like, uh, like academic, like their success as a, as a person um, will be more dependent on their emotional intelligence rather than on their um, intellectual like intelligence or academic. Oh, I I believe yeah. it. I mean, you think about, well, especially with just millennials and or Gen X or whatever you want to call it, um, or Gen, not Gen X, Gen Z. I feel like there is, there is no sense of this like boss, like telling their employees what to do anymore. It's all of this like cooperative atmosphere. You have to be able to read people that social skills like are huge. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, I absolutely believe it, but I'm glad that we're at least, especially raising boys right now. I'm glad that we're just moving as a culture, you know, towards like more emotion, being emotionally available just in general. And that all this research about emotional intelligence is coming out. Yeah. Yeah. And me too. It's a, I think it's a really great time to be a parent. I agree. Um, <laughs> I feel like, and like all, well, although all the resources I'm like, man, it used to be, you didn't have to get every single person in the entire internet's opinion. <laughs> of what you're doing. You still still learn to check in with yourself and just go, go from a place of consciousness. I mean, that's the whole point. Like, you know, I, I have this class, um, respectful parenting 101. And the whole point of it is to teach you like basic practices, but at the same time, like help you understand that you are the person who gets to decide. So I'm not here to tell you how to parent. I'm here to help you decide how you want to parent and parent consciously rather than just reflexively from old scripts that you didn't choose that were handed to you. I mean, that's like, that's what it is. You know, you get to choose. I don't want you having to rely on some script from some person on the internet for what to say to your kid when they throw their toy across the room. I want you to intuitively know. I want you to have that come from within you, but it can't until you've done the work. Like it can't 
come from a wounded place. It has to come from a healed place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, so do you do, you do count like, um, counseling, I know working on classes, courses, what, um, so what exactly do you provide just with families in general? Yeah. So I ha- I have been doing like seeing, doing one-on-one coaching. Um, I'm stepping away from that because of just the changes in the world and the pulls on my time have increased quite a lot with my family. Um, I'm not sure that my kids will be returning to school. So we're exploring homeschooling. And so, yeah, um, <laughs> yes, I know. Right? So we're going to see how that goes. Um, but um, yeah, so the best way to interact with me right now. So I have a great um, free Facebook group filled with such amazing parents who love supporting each other. Um, And we really view like in the act of supporting each other and becoming more conscious and respectful in our parenting, we, um, we are actively doing the work ourselves. Like supporting another person is a great way to learn how to do it yourself. So um, if you're, if your listeners need a place to ask parenting questions, my balanced parenting community on Facebook is a great place to go to do that. Um, and then I do have a course right now called Respectful Parenting 101 um, that um, goes over the basics of kind of what we've been talking about today, but in a lot more detail with a lot of support on how to, like, which limits to set and what to, you know, how to do that with empathy and compassion. Um, but it's going to be on sale for Father's Day. Um And within that group, though, or within that course, you get access to a Facebook group where I hold office hours every week where you can get a chance to um, ask your questions and I'll answer them live. So there's that too. The course is probably on sale right now when you're listening, if you're listening right before Father's Day in 2020. I think that this is giving your, you know, your partner the gift of, you know, deepening your parenting practices or becoming more aligned in your parenting practices. I just have had someone who just joined um, the course who told me that her husband bought her the course as her birthday present. And the present wasn't just the course. It was that he was going to do it with her. So he put on, like when he gave her the gift, he had put on their calendar, each of the like times when they were going to sit down and listen to the lessons together and go through the workbook together. Like he gave her the gift of his time and commitment to parenting as a team. Um, And I thought that was just a beautiful gift and a beautiful expression of love. On my Facebook page, um, it's just Laura Froyan. They're like F-R-O-Y-E-N is my last name. And there's very few of people with that name. So you'll be able to find me. Um, but yeah, I have lots of videos that you can go through. It's like Netflix for parenting. You can yes. watch them. <laughs> that needs to be your course. Just yeah. Netflix for parenting. yeah right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, I would love to have you guys you know, come and watch some of those videos. I'm working on getting them into a podcast. So I do have a podcast called The Balanced Parent. Um, and um, so I, that's a mix of kind of some of the audio from my Facebook videos, but then new episodes too. Um, so I'd love to invite you to listen to that podcast. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I love, I love supporting parents in this process. I feel really called to um, kind of enact generational change through parenting Um, and I hope that like together we can raise a generation of kind, compassionate, empowered kids who are going to change the world for better. Absolutely. And I feel like it's simpler than we make it out to be, which is, I think one of the main things that I'm, I'm attempting to do, you know, just in this podcast, I say so many times, like we're just trying to be 1% better today. 
than we were yesterday, whether that be with finances, we don't get our Starbucks coffee, we make it, or with our marriage, like we choose to, you know, send a sweet text when we are upset, I mean, whatever, it doesn't matter. Like it, it's not these huge, big, like life altering pivots that have to happen every single day. It's just to your exact point, consciously being aware of like where you are, where you've been, you know, family tree speaking or whatever, and then how, how you want to move forward. And you might only be able to have the energy or the capacity to change one of those, you know, like maybe your finances are a wreck, but gosh dang it, your marriage is doing good. And you come from a family that has never had a solid marriage, you know? Um, yeah. So it's just one thing. And then hopefully your kids, you know, can take off with the foundation you built and, you know, maybe they change their finances. Right. And, and like compassion for yourself is the most important thing you can do in this process too. So being patient with yourself, being kind to yourself, knowing that you are doing the very best you can. And when you know better, you'll continue to do better. And that's like, and that's it. That's the best we can do. I felt like I was in my own parenting therapy session there. I don't know how you guys felt. I think one of the biggest takeaways for me was the equality versus equity conversation. I think it's easy to feel like we need to treat all of our children equally in some way, right? Especially if you, well, obviously, if you have more than one. I mean, and we have four and they all have different personalities, like hardcore different personalities. I mean, I know like all of my kids are unique and I know they need me to like really parent them differently, but I still feel that pressure to treat them all the same when it comes to discipline or, you know, whatever that might look like. And it was really freeing to me when she just reminded me that everyone gets what they need and everyone needs something different. That was super freeing to me. And the other big takeaway for me was the concept of reparenting, which y'all need to go Google that and look more into it because that concept was completely new to me. And I loved how she reframed triggers from having this negative connotation to really just being like an indicator of a trauma, be it, you know, mild or severe that we actually need to lean into and work through. So you guys, I hope this conversation has encouraged you and equipped you with some tools and resources just to identify some areas in your life or your parenting where, like me, maybe you felt like, well, this is just who I am as a parent. Like I yell or I get frustrated with a specific kid. Like we're just going to butt heads and it's going to be like that forever or whatever else it might be. I hope that this conversation just frees some of that thinking and allows you to embrace this um, growth mindset in your parenting and just start the work of identifying past traumas that may be affecting the way that you parent or I don't know, like identify something in your parenting you wish was different. Like I said, maybe you're a yeller or maybe you have been projecting insecurities onto your children that you didn't even realize, right? Like we didn't even realize what the heck we were doing. It's just so powerful when you can call something out by name. And I feel like Dr. Laura did that over and over and over again throughout this conversation. And like I've said in past episodes, like once we can shine a light on something, once we can call it what it is, then, and really only then, is it when we can um, just really start the work on something and, and have it be effective. 
And until we shine a light on it, it's freaking impossible for us to know how to course correct or honestly even know that there is an issue to start with, right? And you know, we will never be perfect parents. So gosh, you guys like just remember to cover yourself in grace. Like I cannot plead with you enough. I cannot plead with myself enough. Like that is, I'm preaching to myself. Good Lord. But also, you know, we don't want to turn a blind eye to triggers from our past that may be rearing their head on, on or in, I guess, in our parenting. Like I pray that we have the grit to face those head on and to lean into them and not shy away from them. I mean, we often wonder, you know, are we doing good enough? Like when it comes to our kids. And I know that when I typically ask that question of my own parenting to someone else, like, you know, just with a friend or whatever, the response I often get is, except the very fact that you're even asking that question, <laughs> the fact that you're even asking, like, am I doing good enough? I don't know. It means that you're, you are doing enough, right? Like, again, you are human, I am human, and our kids are going to experience some form of trauma despite our best efforts. But the very fact that you are on here listening and learning just means that you are already so invested in your motherhood. And girl, I am right here with you to remind you that in all of the things, in all of the trauma and the triggers and the good and the bad, that you are already enough. You are already enough as a mother. You are already enough as a wife, as a woman in general. Like you, just the way you are, are already enough. Join me on the next episode as I welcome the smart and talented and beautiful Ali Kasaza. She went from living, you guys, below the poverty line where she had to decide between like a box of cereal one week for her family or a box of tampons. And yes, we go into this story. We are going to be talking, oh my gosh, so much, but we are talking about women and wealth. She now runs a multi seven figure business from her home. <laughs> and so she has turned her money story around and we basically, we walk through her story next week. We um, talk about a lot of, of limiting beliefs that women have around money and wealth in this culture. And so I would love it if you would join us next week as we have this conversation on women and wealth. <laughs>